Hello and welcome to series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering and maths, and hear from STEM people who are from diverse backgrounds who tend to be really underrepresented. Essentially, through innovation, I want us to get smarter and to gain more knowledge about innovation, but also to bring a voice to the voiceless who are actually doing the STEM. I was one of those people. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were raised to be curious about the world around us and figure out how things work. Maybe that's the reason why I ended up studying mechanical engineering. It taught me so much about how things work, which was really useful. But I must admit that it was life itself that taught me that not everything can be explained with neat little mathematical equations. Life is messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation I want to hear how other people in STEM, particularly minorities, have dealt with that. This week I talk to Lan Pam, a robotics engineer. So my name is Lan Pham and I work on robotics, specifically magnetic manipulation of Um, objects in space or space debris. Um, I was at the University of Utah doing research and now I'm a robotics engineer at Relativity Space. Wow, so what are you specifically looking at? Like with your research, what what kind of impact or how is it gonna help the rest of us? So my research looked at, there's a ton of space debris like floating in our, in outer space and most of the time we think of like huge junk like a a rocket barrel or like giant cylinders of stuff in space but actually a lot of it is super super tiny things due to other larger satellites like crashing into each other and exploding and stuff like that and there's so many more smaller pieces out there and my research is looking at targeting those smaller pieces of space debris and like a large net or field and trying to pull them back down into earth to help remove them from space. How did you get into something like that? I mean, it's so specialized. Like what was the journey to get to this point? It was a whole bunch of just opportunities. Like I just left myself open. I never knew I wanted to go into robotics. I, when I was in high school, I didn't even know I wanted to become an engineer. It was kind of just like, I'm going to try to do the best I can do to grow my um, expertise or like be able to experience new things. And the different people kind of just presented them to opportunities to me. So when I was an undergrad, I tried to do research opportunities. So I just worked in a lot of different labs. Um, At one point I did a summer research opportunity at UPenn in robotics. Um, Great experience. And then I was an internet GE where I toured their R&D site. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, there are people who are doing cutting edge stuff. Like, I want to do that. Like, that's so exciting. So that's how I decided I want to do a PhD. And because of my previous experience in robotics, I was like, okay, I'm going to go and do a robotics PhD. And in interviewing with different um, professors, one of them was like, hey, I have this project on uh, potentially looking at being able to manipulate conductive objects that using magnets, is, does that interest you? And I was like, 
wow, like I can manipulate something using a magnet, even though it's magnetic, like that contradiction just was like, blew my mind and like excited me. So I was like, let's, yeah, I'm on board. Let's go do it. Like, I want to be able to do research that I think is crazy. So that's how I got into my, that research opportunity. I mean, honestly, you make it sound so easy to be doing what you're doing or to have got to the point where you're doing what you're doing, but you just like naturally gifted at STEM subjects. No, I did a lot of research opportunities that I also didn't enjoy that told me like, oh, I am not interested in that. So one of my very first ones was in chemical engineering. And like, right when I was actually like the summer before entering college, I did uh, chemical engineering research. And I was like, oh, no, like, that is not what I want to do. I am not into chemistry. And I was like, well, that I won't do. Let's try other different areas of mechanical engineering or other opportunities. And yeah, some of the experience have been like, I always try to look at the positive aspects. Like maybe there were times when like when I was doing my internship where it just felt like there was less guidance involved. So I was twiddling my thumbs at some point but always trying to be positive and looking for more ways to do and grow myself without having to, while being independent. Because at that time there was just, people were busy. So I needed to, my direct managers were busy. So I just tried to expand my net to just keep on reaching out to new people in an effort to still enable myself to grow. In a nutshell, do you have to be good at maths and physics to do what you do? I, I think you have to be willing to learn. And I think it always takes time. I think the people who go and do PhDs, they are smart, but they aren't like some crazy genius. I think it is the commitment and the perseverance to stay in like a challenging area where no one knows what they're doing because that's what research is. You're doing something new. So you kind of have to be able to like do that grind and be passionate. That was my advice when I was applying to grad school. They were, people told me like, this is going to be your project for years. You're going to have highs, you're going to have lows. And for those low moment moments, you want to be driven by your project and why you think it's awesome. And I totally agree. Like when there were low moments in my PhD, I was, I kept on being reminded, like I'm doing something awesome. And if I'm not doing it, like this could just fall through. Oh my gosh, that's a mic drop moment <laughs> because it, that is just so essential to hear. Because, um, yeah, I often think about my own doctorate and I just think, you know, I studied something so specialised. Um, you know, what what good could it do in terms of like a large impact? But actually, you've just summarised it right there as, you know, going into STEM subjects really does require a lot of, commitment and like deep interest and those are such good life skills aren't they yeah they are like I think I think just you're gonna live a happier life if what you're doing like excites you and then it's going to drive you to be a more productive worker and it's going to drive you to be more innovative like I think I currently work somewhere where everyone has that passion to keep on like doing experimental things. And I think that's awesome. 
So as a kid, was it obvious that you were going to end up becoming a robotics engineer? No, not at all. I think as a kid, I didn't even know what robotics would be. Um, as a kid, I just, I was in STEM programs, like after school programs, but that's more of, um, I lived in a really cold city in like upstate New York, and I got to go inside early if I was part of the STEM program. So I joined that STEM program in an effort to not be outside in the cold before like the beginning of the day. Um, and that kind of seeded my experience in STEM. It wasn't because I had like this inherent, like I have this dream to do this. Um, it was kind of just like, I'm gonna try to do the best I can do and in that case, not be cold. Yeah. I mean, what's it been like as probably one of few females? Um, I think growing up, I, at least before I went to college, I didn't really notice because like your kids, you're, I don't think you're really looking for like that gender bias, or at least where I was, all the people who were in that program, we were all friends. Like we became friends that way. We like continue to pursue that in high school together. So I felt like I didn't know, like click to me that it was mainly um, men until I went to college. So like the numbers grow a lot bigger and you become um, like one of 20 women in like, uh, at my university, I felt like was pretty high. If like a graduating class of 80, like 20 of us were women in engineering. But then I went to my grad school program and it's like 145 and there's like 10 in their undergrad and class. So that was when it became a lot more obvious to me, like, yeah, there's not that many. And I think I was fortunate where I personally had very rare experiences where I felt like someone wasn't listening to me because they didn't um, inherently think like, oh, she's competent. Um, mm -hmm. But I have, I have heard from other people where they felt like they were being sidelined because they were women engineering or explicitly like people didn't want help from them mm. um, as like a tutor in like the like tutoring center. There were people who would like avoid them. Um, and I was lucky not to have that. Um, I also tend to naturally have a very strong personality um, to not, it would be a little bit harder for someone to try to push me aside. Do you think you have a strong personality because that's in your DNA or have you become strong as a result of probably being in a minority? I actually think I became a really strong individual because I had an amazing mentor in my undergrad. She was uh, a vice president of research at my university and she was like very sociable and she kind of took me as well as other minority students like under her wing and really taught us how to be advocates for ourselves, taught us to be driven, taught us to network and just like really pushed us out in the world. Because I feel like I grew up in like a small city um, in upstate New York, you, you can't know what you don't know. And I feel like she understood that and took, took us in and then taught us how to be the, like be driven, be loud, like, like, don't let yourself be sidelined. And I feel like that's when I became a strong individual was because there was someone there who saw something in me and, like, nurtured that. 
do you ever see yourself next to someone that hasn't had that kind of mentorship and you see a difference in sort of like self-esteem or confidence or assertiveness? I I would imagine because I think I can't I can't say because I can't do I feel like you can't know other people's experience until you have a conversation with them. But I definitely think having a mentor in your life um, will always have a positive impact on you. Like they will always be able to give you advice and experience that so that you don't have to live it yourself. And like how to be a better, like a better person, because like that's what the mentor is trying to do, being like, I made these mistakes. I don't want you to do that. Go and be a better version of me. Do you think it's normal for women to be empowered these days or do you see uh, women being in more, taking a more subordinate role? Oh, no, I think, I think there's definitely a greater environment of trying to empower women now than there were before. I feel like just not culturally, there's a lot more push, even if like maybe individually people are still having bad experiences. Yeah, I think there there is a greater idea of like, I want to help lift you or I want to support you, whether that's from other female engineers or other male engineers who are trying not to maintain any of that bias or like maybe they don't have that much experience working in, in with women in engineering. And that's not necessarily a fault of their own. They just kind of, I feel like, didn't have any around. They're trying to not have biases and stuff like that because now it's becoming a lot more like this exists. What kind of impact is your work having on the rest of us? I think my research will enable a different mindset and maybe how it like examining space debris I feel like there's a lot of research looking at capturing just like big satellite objects because like people can grasp that like there's a satellite it's no longer working we can see it it's big let's try to grab it and like take it back Um, and looking more about all of the many many more small particles Um, and pieces that are preventing us from doing things like launching into space, because when someone's trying to launch a rocket up with people in it, they aren't just navigating, there's a big satellite, let's wait till that passes. They also have to look at, here are all the medium and small size objects that we don't wanna risk colliding with either. Um, And also addressing that big area of space debris removal. Gosh, that is so fascinating because I've never ever thought about it. Like, I've just never thought that launching a rocket into space um, involves having to make sure you don't collide with anything. God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, there are satellites out there. There's debris out there. And yeah, I remember the first time I realized that, too. And I was like, oh, I mean, that makes sense. But that makes it so much more scary that people are launching things into space and still avoiding all that stuff. But I think we have amazing engineers that always like do what you can't even like you can't fathom that kind of stuff, but we have it covered. So essentially, is your work using magnets to kind of control those bits and pieces that are kind of existing out there in space? Yep. My research looks at, say, you 
launch a giant magnet into space, it's moving around so that it can uh, be able to move a lot of those objects at once. So with your work and your career now, like where do you see it going? What are your plans for the future as a woman in technology, essentially? I want to be able to continue to do things that I think are awesome or that I think is is like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this. And that's always going to be a passion of mine, um, while also a priority to me is like the work-life balance. Um, I think something that's important to me is there work, there will always be more work. Um, good, good or bad in the sense of like, I think some people become like stressed out. Like, yes, we put a lot of burden on ourselves, like to be the best, to get more projects. Um, but then to convince ourselves that if we don't do this right now, this minute, then I'm going to fall behind. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, I think there's always going to be more work to do in the exciting sense of like, say I finish what project I'm working on now, I know that there's another awesome project in the future. Um, and letting, letting that thought ground myself and also spending time with like people I care about and other things that I care about in order to be like a full whole person and not do something like burn myself out. Mm. But how does it work? Like for women, we always have to consider the sort of like juggling, not just um, work, but also yeah. potentially being a mother one day, family, like how does that all sit with you? And what's your kind of, how do you navigate that yourself? I think that is a totally fair and hard question to answer because I am someone who's very family oriented, um, both like my my family in sense of my mom, my brothers and sisters, and then like, um, me wanting to have a family of my own someday, like that's very important to me. And I think the pandemic has shown that it's really hard for working women because someone does have to be a caretaker to your kids, especially when they can't even go to school. Um, I can't say I know what that will be like, especially since I haven't had to experience it yet. But I I think it would definitely help if childcare was more available to me, particularly if my company enabled that in some form or way. I feel very fortunate that my mom has always been really involved in ch childcare for like my brothers and sisters, but that's kind of one of those rows where I'm gonna be navigating on the fly. It does sometimes like, it's, it is a scarier part because like, you're worried about what will that be for your career and things like that. Um, but I think society, we are becoming more aware of the struggles that and supporting women and families and hoping that when I get to that point, I can experience that live and come away and be like, no, we are better now than we were before. Yeah, I mean, I must say I've been involved in quite a few discussions across different industries, not just STEM. Mm -hmm. um, and actually listening to you and sort of like knowing that you're quite at the beginning of your career, you know, like yes. your oyster sort of thing. Um, it does make me realise that it's so important to actually encourage young women to think about these things, because otherwise you'll end up... Um, just time passing by and being really focused on your work and then 
sort of like not knowing how to deal with the fact that we can't really extend biological clocks. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it is really important. You're right. And it is something that needs to be talked about, but like determining exactly when that conversation should happen is, is really tricky. I think. It is. Um, I feel like, especially in the workplace, it's kind of one of those odd, could be personal conversations that might somewhat, some people might find unprofessional. Some people might feel like, oh yeah, I totally understand what you what you mean. Um, I think other women in engineering would definitely agree like, oh, I know what you mean. Um, and trying to see that. I think I, going to undergrad, I actually met a lot of female professors who had kids. So from my perspective, it was at least possible. Like I, I know there are women who are working who have kids and who have made it work and figured it out. Um, and it's just a matter for me, like how do I do that? Yeah, I mean, you're actually just confirming how important it is to have a gender balance within uh, industries like engineering because when there are women there, they're able to then understand the dilemmas we're in in trying to juggle all of this. And it does actually explain why history um, has not really given women a fair chance because if industries are very male dominated, no one's really considering what we're having to grapple with. And so, so there are more of us at the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, think, go on. Oh, I think it. The, the representation is important because I've never explicitly talked to any of these women about like their life. How did they get married? How did they have kids? How did they juggle all this? Um, but I, it's more of like, I saw them and I knew they existed. And like, I saw that they were still doing a great job. I think at, like, at least their professionalism and seeing how they still interact with their kid without having to be like, I'm going to have a full blown conversation. Yeah, let me know this is possible because I just see it. Exactly. It's this um, amazing sort of very simple catchphrase that I've heard, which is you can't be it if you can't see it. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. So what's the most humbling thing that has ever happened to you? I think... I think starting my new job and seeing being just a huge collection of people who are all super amazing geniuses that are constantly trying to innovate and realizing that it is a whole host and community of people that drive innovation. Because I feel like when I was in my research lab, it's very like small you're working on this one project. And when I started, when I went into like a bigger organization or company, I saw like how, how much of a force, a collection of driven people are. And that was really humbling. Just like, just what you can accomplish in such a short period of time when everyone's trying to go for the same goal. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And so, what has been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I feel like the two that I 
previously talked about one being find a passion for your research and what you're going to do and um, the balance of work, work, there will always be more work to do and having that also ground you in um, your work-life balance. Like, do you think, I mean, you're, you're, is calling you a robotics engineer accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So as a robotics engineer, do you think you have been able to maintain uh, your authentic self in your career? Or have you had to sort of like, do you have to change who you are in order to do your job? Uh, I, I don't, I personally have been able to be my authentic self um, wherever I have worked. I don't know what I would do if someone had attempted to tell me, no, I cannot be a certain way. Um, aside from maybe the fact like you have to wear pants because that's a safety hazard. <laughs> so if it was up to fair. Huh? If it was up to you, you wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I don't, I don't really like wearing like pants and jeans and stuff like that. Um, I do have to wear safety toes. Uh, because of where I work and that's okay there are some really like cute shoes out there nowadays yeah they're like cute nice safety toed shoes now cool like with heels with yeah there are some with heels depending on where you work they might not like the fact that there's a heel uh, but I don't know what the research behind there being an increased trip hazard if there's a heel but there are shoes with heels and there are like nice boots and stuff like that that are out there nowadays but I feel like where I work, I can wear, I can be myself and it's not weird. I'm like wearing bright yellow right now and that's what I'm gonna go to work in and our work colors are black and white. <laughs> that's so awesome. Because mm -hmm. one of the things that um, I was chatting about with a bunch of women the other day is like how at some point in our early careers, we had to really tone down the makeup. We had to dress a bit like men just so that we didn't stand out, but it's like, you know, you're female, you're always going to stand out. But do you feel that kind of pressure? I don't feel that kind of pressure. Um, I think I think it was like uh, at the beginning it, in a new place, I'm like, oh, I really did think about what I wear. And I think I did really stress about it. Um, but my company has a lot of females working there, I think. And you, again, you see what people do, you see what people wear, and then you kind of push the boundaries of where you wear. And having conversations about people where they're like, you know what, I don't think, I think I care more about what people think than what people actually think. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's often, I think, well, I think that can often be the case of like uh, these pressures on ourselves. Um, then is someone really going to comment about um what color you're wearing or whether or not you're wearing something one way or another. But I, again, work somewhere where there are women who have like pink hair and like, like super cool, like jackets with like hardware on it. And cause I'm working more of like startup industry. So it's, I think different. And then before that I was working in a research lab. So that's kind of more university. I'm going to not think about what I wear either. 
I mean, it must, I must say that you really do strike me as someone that actually doesn't care what other people think. It's like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. Like, I'm not. Yeah. And that's just yeah. such an awesome attitude to have. Like, if there was a piece of advice that you would give to any sort of young girls that may be considering a career in STEM or maybe following in your footsteps, what would be the one thing you would say to them so that they don't sort of make any mistakes that maybe you made or like, what would you want to tell them? I would want the, I would want to tell them to be you. Don't feel like you have to be someone else or be more like someone else in order to be successful. Um, I feel like we don't have to be more like men, like whether that is the typical stronger, more reserved, or like I have to change how we are or how we feel. Um, I think there was a precedence because they didn't have any other options, but I think we will bring something different and we can't bring in that difference. If we keep, if we have to feel like we have to try to be what is already in existence. I just love that note that you've ended on. Um, it's been so awesome talking to you. I just, I feel so uplifted because I think, you know, when you're surrounded by someone that has a very strong character and has that confidence um, and it's not arrogance, it's just like a, a real sort of internal confidence. Um, it can really uplift and sort of rub off um, on other people. And it certainly has on me. So thank you so much for talking with me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Lan. Um, yeah, thank you, Jeannie. You have such an amazing attitude. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be a really inspiring episode. That's good. I'm glad. I'm, I think it's good to be positive and look at the how to grow in the good way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I feel optimistic. And I think if I worked in a place where I couldn't be positive or felt really down, I would just go somewhere else. And I yeah. guess I would go somewhere else until there. I felt like there was no place and then I would build my own place. <laughs> There's just no kind of squashing you. There's no, life is too short. Life yeah. is too short to be anything else but uh, like the happiest or best version of you. And you need to, like you are your own advocate to your happiness and your life. Like this, we only get one chance. Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on YouTube on my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.